Hello and welcome to episode 704 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Sunday, November 5th, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us begin with the Sunday prayer by the great saint and doctor of the church, Alphonsus Liguri, to the most blessed Virgin Mary to obtain the forgiveness of our sins. Behold, O Mother of God, at thy feet a miserable sinner, a slave of hell, who has recourse to thee and trusts in thee. I do not deserve that thou shouldest even look at me, but I know that thou, having seen thy son die for the salvation of sinners, hast the greatest desire to help them. I hear all call thee the refuge of sinners, the hope of those who are in despair, and the help of the abandoned. Thou art then my refuge, my hope, and my help. Thou hast to save me by thy intercession. Help me for the love of Jesus Christ. Extend thy hand to a miserable creature who has fallen and recommends himself to thee. I know that thy pleasure is to help a sinner to thy utmost. Help me, therefore, now that thou canst do so. By my sins I have lost divine grace, and with it my soul. I now place myself in thy hands. Tell me what I must do to recover the favor of my Lord, and I will immediately do it. He sends me to thee that thou mayest help me and he wills that I should have recourse to thy mercy, not that only the merits of thy son, but also that thy intercession may help me to save my soul. To thee, then, I have recourse. Do thou, who prayest for so many others, pray also to Jesus for me. Ask him to pardon me, and he will forgive me. Tell him that thou desirest my salvation, and he will save me. Show how thou canst enrich those who trust in thee. Amen. Thus I hope. Thus may it be. Today, friends, I wanted to take a look at a meditation for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost entitled Stand Firm in the Lord, My Beloved by Father John Zulsdorf, published at 1peter5.com a couple of days ago. And Father Z, as he is known, begins by saying, we would have had a first selection from Philippians last week, the last Sunday of October, but the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost was superseded by the Feast of Christ the King in the Vedas calendar. Sunday's reading from Philippians 3, 17 through 21 and 4, 1 through 3 is also used in the Vedas calendar on the Feast of St. Clement for an obvious reason. About the issue of the reading being from two chapters, this is not a case, as is so often happens in the Novus Ordo lectionary, of snipping out bits and pieces and gluing together the ends. In this case, the end of the third chapter, or excuse me, the end of the third chapter flows seamlessly into the fourth. Paul did not write using chapters and verses. Those were added much later. We are drawing to the end of the liturgical year. Therefore, we will more and more have references to the second coming, the end of the world, and the resurrection. Pius Parch in his The Church's Year of Grace, writes of this period. In the Sunday liturgies of autumn time, it is not too difficult to detect a progression in three stages. The first stage consists in the Sundays transitional from summer to fall, 15th to 17th after Pentecost. The second stage embraces the four finest formularies in the Church's harvest time, 19 through 21. The last stage begins today, and brings the season to its conclusion, 23 and 24. 
Nevertheless, the liturgy is at all times concerned primarily with the present situation, even when her sights are directed momentarily to the end of things. It is no different today. It is noteworthy that for the offertory antiphon we sing from Psalms 129-130, which is the De Profundus. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my prayer. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Timothy is also a, quote, co-signer of the letter to the Philippians. Paul had visited Philippi with Timothy and Silas during his second missionary journey between 50 to 52 AD, and also during his third between 53 and 58. Philippi was in northeastern Greece in Thrace. Fathers of the church thought Philippians was written when Paul was in custody in Rome for the second time. In Acts 16.20, we find they were accused of creating a disturbance in the city. They were beaten and imprisoned. This is when there was an earthquake while they were praying and singing hymns. Their chains fell off and the doors opened, leading to the conversion of their guard. Philippians has the famous poetic Christological passage about Christ, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where we get the mystery of his self-emptying in Greek, kenosis. Though he was equal to the Father, he did not consider being equal to God something to be exploited or grasped at. Instead, the Son emptied himself, taking the form of a slave servant and was obedient to death on a cross. The hymn-like quality of this passage suggests that Paul had taught it to the Philippians for use in their local, and maybe elsewhere, liturgy. In his letters, Paul usually stressed some characteristic of Christ and his audiences needed to conform themselves to it. In this case, the trait is Christ's humility. There are little personal touches in Philippians, such as his mention of his background as a Pharisee, one eight. The aforementioned story about being in prison and the earthquake, 112. The mention of disagreement between collaborators brought up in our passage for Sunday, 419. Brethren, join in imitating me and mark those who so live as you have an example in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our commonwealth is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, I entreat Yodia, excuse me, and I entreat Sincti, difficult to pronounce these words, to agree in the Lord. And I also, and I ask you also, true yoke fellow, help these women, for they have labored side by side with me and the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Immediately after this is when Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Consoling for our own days. The first verse of our reading from Mass has Paul telling the community to imitate him. However, he and Timothy are already imitators. At the very beginning of the letter, Paul and Timothy self-identify also as servants, which is the image presented of the Lord who self-emptied. The Lord is humble, so his servant leaders must be humble, so the people can be humble. Christ is Paul's model. Paul is their model. Brethren, join in imitating me and mark those who so live as you have an example in us, 3.17. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do and the God of peace will be with you, 4.9. This isn't the only time Paul urges this imitation. For example, in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Therefore, I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Again, Timothy is involved. Again, we have an indication of Paul's programmatic instruction as he moved about. The humility that Paul preaches cannot be attained in a day. Let's circle back to one thing. Paul, as is often the case, is addressing a problem in his letter. In Philippi, there are, again, false teachers, probably Judaizers, who would impose also Mosaic practices on all Christians, non-Jews alike. He touches on this saying, for many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, verses 18 and 19. I don't think we should reduce the line about their God is the belly to mere sins of gluttony. It stands for living according to the flesh, according to the world, rather than the commonwealth in heaven, which comes next. Sometimes commonwealth, Greek polituma, is rendered conversation, Latin conversatio, which is conduct of life. We Christians must look beyond the world bound to the heaven free, our true patria. In our own day, we hear about those who would reduce those means of freedom for heaven, including self-control, abnegation to a relaxed complacency, which ultimately reflects the chains of the flesh. In fact, there are calls by some to overhaul the church's perennial moral teachings according to, quote, lived experience. You might recall how some years ago in matters concerning marriage and divorce, the concept of continence, chastity, was relegated to an ideal that not all could attain. As if God does not, in fact, offer sufficient graces, and he lets people struggle under burdens they cannot bear. In other words, God has set for us impossible goals, ideals of comportment. We, on the other hand, can reinterpret those ideals through our lived experience. Taking note that most people don't live according to the ideal upheld in the church's perennial teaching on morals, therefore we should, while not claiming to remove the ideal, Simply go along with, tolerate those lapses from the ideal, 
people can discern for themselves whether the ideal is really for them or not. In effect, they come with the seeming approbation of their pastors to glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. We must, as discussions about this approach, build and multiply, be on our guard and not be seduced by them. To this end, review your catechism, know well your faith, so you will not be confused when the clever boots get going with their patter. The church's perennial teachings on faith and morals are solid and dependable. Anything proposed that would erode the plain meaning of those teachings should be firmly rejected. Let our imitation of Christ and his humility to submit in the form of a servant, even to the cross, be our model when we are faced with the temptation to live not for heaven, but merely for the earthly. Above, I mentioned the canonic dimension of the Christology in Philippians, whereby Paul describes the self-emptying of the Son, taking the form of a servant. At his earthly end, he was stripped of every worldly thing and showed us the perfection of freedom. John, in the prologue of his gospel, says that they saw his glory. Also above, I mentioned how at Philippi, Paul and Silas were singing in prison and an earthquake broke their bonds. In the midst of their nothingness, they were freed. I'll close with a remark by blessed Ildefonso Schuster about our attitude towards worldly goods. How much easier it is to save one's soul in the midst of poverty and in a humble and obscure condition of life. Not that riches or worldly position are in themselves blameworthy, but very often to these advantages are joined certain dispositions of one's mind and one's surroundings, which render the service of God very difficult to carry out. Such persons begin by excessive preoccupation concerning their material possessions and end by losing altogether the supernatural sense of Christian life and holy mortification, becoming at last inimicos crucis Christi, as St. Paul sadly remarks. Finally, now that we are in the month dedicated to prayer for the poor souls, I would be remiss if I did not remind you that you too will one day draw your final breath. No earthly advantage in that moment is going to raise you to the beatific vision. Only your love for and fidelity to Christ will do that. Practice dying well now by living better now, not according to the flesh and world, but in humble service of our Lord and Savior, especially in charity towards others. Another magnificent reflection on today's readings by Father John Zulsdorf. We must live for heavenly glory, friends. How often do we and those around us and those we see in the movies and on TV are living for wealth, for pleasure, for power, for fame? That's not going to get us anywhere. That's going to get us to hell. We want to get to heaven, so we need to beg the Lord for the grace to lead virtuous lives, to do good, and to avoid evil, to pursue virtue in all things, and to hate sin, to hate offending our Lord Jesus Christ and Our Lady of Fatima and even the slightest thing.
to want to make them happy, to never, ever want to offend them. Today, friends, let us conclude once again by mentioning Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, available on the web at halo-soma.org. That's halo-soma.org. Also, please tune into episodes 277 and 548. That's 277 and 548 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast for more information about RPM, which is an acronym for Rapid Prompting Method. Rapid Prompting Method is a system of communication for non-speakers. Before my niece was about eight years old, we didn't even know her favorite color and had to guess at what her wants and needs were. Now we know that she is a comprehensive genius who composes music. She's a poet, brilliant in regards to mathematics. She knows foreign languages. We would have known of none of that were it not for God's grace, her hard work, her family's hard work, and RPM. How many more are out there in the world like her who are in a prison of silence until RPM provides the key that unlocks them, gets them out of that prison and into the world of open communication where they rightfully belong because communication is a human right. And just as sign language was a revolutionary breakthrough for the deaf in terms of their being able to communicate, or you could point to in terms of being able to read, Braille was for the blind and of course continues to be. That's the type of breakthrough RPM, rapid prompting method is for non-speakers. And if you don't know a non-speaker, you probably will at some point in your life. So this information is going to be invaluable to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please tune in again tomorrow. Goodbye and God love you.